Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it going? It's going okay. We might be the only two nincompoops in Midtown Manhattan here, and I'm not sure how we're getting. I'm not sure how we're, we're getting home. Oh. We're stuck here with no subways underwater. We we need yeah. a. Can we get a submarine instead of a we subway? Need a, we need a canoe. <laughs> but anyway, um, I guess where we'll we should start is just to kind of I think. Uh, uh, make the broad observation if we look at where we are in growth. We've been talking a lot about, you know, issues around manufacturing, issues around divergence. But the basic point I would just sort of hit first is to say, look, things don't look, you know, far out of line of what our, our broad message is about near-term resilience. Um, but we do have a few things that are going on that can kind of, if not disrupt it, maybe change the dynamic going forward. And one that we haven't really spent much time talking about is the the material rise we're seeing in long-term uh, interest rates led by treasuries, but but spilling out across um, the interest rate markets across the globe. So why don't we just start there uh, and sort of muse a little bit. First of all, what's causing it? Second of all, does it matter? And how does it matter for the macro outlook? So why don't you start and then I'll jump in. Well, I mean, I think if, if we're putting on our economist hats, we're going to look at interest rates as being a signal of something about the macro economy and, and central bank policy. Uh, I think you have a, you know, a Fed who is convincingly, more convincingly told us they're going to stay on hold for a lot longer here than I think people were hoping. And that naturally is raising uh, expectations of, of where the Fed's going to be over the next year or so. Um, I think if you talk to our, our rate strategists, they tell you maybe that's a little part of the story, but there's there's more going on, and some of it is technical in nature. Some of it is related to concerns about the fiscal backdrop in the U.S. Um, so I, I think regard, regardless of those technical issues, uh, I think as you put your finger on it, to the extent that you've got rates moving up, these are the borrowing costs that really affect people, and it's going to do some some damage to to the expansion and it's going to be something that'll slow things down mortgage rates are up a lot the housing market which we had been talking about looked like it was bottoming and starting to come up there's no doubt you're going to see another leg down on that and you know you this is a balancing act that the fed has to deal with right they 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 want things to stay somewhat tighter because they're worried about inflation but the more traction they get the more transmission they see taking place Maybe they can start to cut a little bit earlier. So there's a there's a reflexivity of the interest rates from the long end and the front end and back and forth. I think it's just going to get it's it's going to make for kind of some uh, kind of interesting conversations for the Fed to have as they watch this play out. I guess I'd I'd cut it a little bit differently. I'd say if there's a a relatively limited immediate impact of rising interest rate on on activity, it does take time before that uh, sensitivity begins to be felt. In the economy, but there's an immediate risk of disruption. Disruption as rising interest rates pushes the dollar up, as it shifts capital flows around the world, um, as it starts to potentially cause stress on certain balance sheets. So, you know, from my point of view, the immediate issue, if we're thinking about the next few months, is whether or not the rise in interest rates is going to have some disruptive effect that we're not obviously building into our our forecast on the. More medium term, I kind of key off of what you just said, which is there's a 
there's an element to this which is reflecting stronger growth. And when higher interest rates reflect stronger growth, you really shouldn't be putting a, a negative on it. But I think a good part of what we're seeing is the uh, reflection of, of high for long being uh, built into markets. There's probably some term premium shift as people are recessing uh, certain issues around a number of things, which I don't really want to get into. Uh, and for that, uh, yeah, it might actually have an influence on Fed policy. But I think the bigger thing from my point of view is it reinforces this idea that we're going to have another leg of monetary transmission working through the system, that this boil the frog scenario we've been telling, which I think is, is centrally driven by the fact that high for long actually does weigh on, on, on growth. Uh, it does begin to create vulnerabilities in the private sector. To me, it's a reinforcing element of that that part of the story. So there's a disruptive, potential disruptive near-term effect to worry about. There's the more medium-term story, which is more, I think, reinforcing of what our our narrative has been, that if you keep policy hot for long, it, yeah, it's eventually going to cause the Fed to ease, but it's also going to do so probably by uh, delivering economic performance, which turns out to be weaker uh, and possibly throws us into um, uh, a recession. Yeah, I mean the the disruptive part is certainly these are the things that we don't we don't know. I mean you, you could throw in there that we had a little flavor of that earlier this year with SVB and and those are the types of things you would worry about something breaking. I think in terms of the dollar being stronger and the EM, we are seeing capital outflows across the EM pick up a little bit. But I, I guess I would say at least for now we're we're feeling like things are are contained, and that's a reflection. Uh, partly structurally of just more sound EDM central banks, but also the fact that they raised rates a lot more aggressively early in the cycle. So I think that is helping things there. In terms of where we are in terms, does this allow the Fed to maybe actually start cutting rates a bit earlier? I'm, I'm curious your, your views on that. I mean, if, if you start to see the long end weighing on bar or pushing up borrowing costs, weighing on activity, uh, is this something that could telescope the, the the rate cutting path a little bit more? This is what I was talking about. It's like a bit of a dance, right? If you get get the if things start to slow down enough, then the Fed could start to feel comfortable, talk a bit more dovishly, and then the long end comes down a bit more. Well, I, I, look, I I think the basic point here is that if we're broadly right and inflation is going to come down in an incomplete fashion in an environment in which uh, the labor market is tight in an environment in which we think certain things have shifted in in psychology, then that means you're going to need to do more uh, on the point of weighing on pricing power and weighing on uh, labor demand cooling labor markets. So I don't think the Fed preemptively sits here and says higher, higher long-term interest rates allow us to have a lower Fed funds rate without seeing that transmission through the system. Uh, so from my point of view, what I'm focusing on right now is that transmission. Uh, yeah, it's it's conceivable, and this is part of the soft landing story, that you could get the right balance of a Fed that leans on demand enough uh, and brings inflation down enough that it can um, um, uh, take its foot off the brakes here at some point and not cause a recession. But right now, I think that's the trade after the trade. The first trade is to see how much of a drag do we get from this and whether or not quickly uh, translates into lower uh, inflation that the Fed is comfortable well, with. Actually, that, yeah, I, mean, I actually think the inflation part of this is the, is the key thing to be watching. I mean, if you get inflation coming down, and we've had a nice stretch of a, a downdraft on the core inflation numbers up until now, and we think that's going to 
bounce back, but nonetheless, you're looking at some pretty soft inflation. If you continue to see that, um, you know, my sense is the Fed's going to feel very comfortable about things and, and would start to, to pull back a bit more. Um, now, well, we I don't, don't have any doubt of it. There's yeah. the, the, look, the soft landing story between the soft landing story and the boil the frog story, you need to have the high for long, I think, persistent uh, uh, inflation story hold hold in because if the Fed can be sitting here and easing policy rates 50 to 100 basis points in the first half of next year because core inflation is below 2% on a sustained basis, we're in a different world. I don't have any doubt about that, but that's an inflation story. That's not a 10-year yield story. Um, so the, the, the question is, and as you're raising it, is we've had a good run for a few months here on core inflation. We're being somewhat cautious. I think the Fed's being somewhat cautious in interpreting it. Uh, as we parse signal and noise here, uh, should we get more optimistic here on the idea that we might actually uh, bringing inflation down in this uh, um, immaculate way or so to speak? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, as as I said, we've seen the core inflation uh, rates both in U.S. and Europe uh, this this week come to uh, they were on the soft side. Right. And, and we're seeing on a three month basis, I think core inflation in both countries are down three percentage points uh, in the last three to four months, uh, sequential inflation rates. Um, that's a pretty large drop. They're both well below 2%. I think in, where's in the U.S. on a three-month run rate. It's like 2.4 maybe. 2.4 uh, on the CPI. Yeah, yeah on the CPI, right. Uh, and in the uh, euro area, I think it's down to 2.6. Um, now, if it stays there, as I said, I think we're feeling, you know, close to mission accomplished, not fully, but we're going to feel pretty darn good. We do not think it's going to stay there, right? We think that this is something that is going to bounce back. And by the time we get to the end of the year, we're back above uh, 3%. Uh, well, and- you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to parse the data, but I would just make the following point. If I just took what I what I see in, in used car prices, uh, airfares and health insurance, I think components that we can all agree are pretty noisy and right now are, are very depressed if i put them back to what i think is a reasonable place uh three to six months from now um that's going to add something like a percent and a quarter to cpi inflation core cpi inflation on a run rate basis which is getting you back into the mid to high threes so to me that's my starting point for a conversation i'm i'm pushing all of that stuff out and then i'm saying if we're starting point is somewhere in the mid to high threes here in an underlying sense will the persistence of core goods price, uh, disinflation, deflation, uh, the moderation in um, shelter care costs, and the more uh, sticky other components of services. Can that get you down another percentage point or so, which is what you need to stick at two and a half as those things unwind? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with the, the the logic of everything you implied. I think the numbers were a little off. I, I think, you know, it's you might need like another half half to three quarters of a percentage Why? point. The, and I could the, see some the of that. healthcare itself is taking four tenths off now and it's going to swing back in positive. So that's yeah. a five tenths swing back. Uh, airfare are taking four tenths off right now on the three month run rate. We've got uh, fuel prices going up. I put that back in positive. Fuel. fuel. Yeah, we're, we're talking core, right? But fuel, fuel prices price? for airline for airlines is going oh, to push air, airline. Price. Okay. That's another five tenths higher. So we're already one yeah. percent higher. And then I'm going to swing used car prices back modestly. No, into I don't have a problem term. with that part. I the, it's the other services. I think you could, if you got back to two and a half on core CPI, 
uh, you know, we're, we're well, I'm just saying is if I leave if I leave shelter, other services and other goods are changed, and I just move these other things, I'm yeah. sitting like three six three seven on core. So then the question is, let's leave these three wild components aside. Do you think you can get the other components to decelerate core inflation on a run rate basis by a percentage point to get you back down to where we are now, which is around two and a half? I don't think so, but maybe you, well maybe by you can. by when right. Well, by early next year, which I think is yeah. what you're kind of yeah, thinking yeah. about in terms by, of the by Fed. the end of the first quarter. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 the way I'm parsing data. I'm thinking you've got a percentage point or more of stuff that's going to go back. And then you've got some stuff. We know shelters is going to continue to go lower. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the issues around what else is happening in the core goods and and services uh, place, which I think are more complicated. And obviously you can. You can spin that a number of different ways, but let's. And the let's thing leave. in the inflationary camp is that we're coming off a quarter in the U.S. where we think we're running—I don't know what now—over four percent in the third quarter. Um, now we don't think that's going to sustain. I mean, G our GDP. You're talking about GDP. For, yeah. Okay. Uh, but we're. I'm just saying you have a strong, you have so resilient labor market. You have strong, strong GDP growth. Uh, we have a forecast that things slow down to half a percent growth by the first half of next year. But if that doesn't happen, then uh, if you do get that, I can see inflation coming off. If you don't, then uh, yeah. you're in that kind of boiling the frog camp. And this is where the issue is. If 10-year yields are combining with 0.5 on GDP growth for a couple of quarters, the Fed's going to ease. I don't doubt that because I right. think you will get. So this is where it, it's, it's whether you get that that result in terms of both the growth and the inflation side. But I want to turn to one other thing, at least before we go which is, um, you know, we have revised history somewhat this week in the U.S. with these uh, comprehensive revisions. Um, and I think, you know, to some degree, what we've been talking about now, we really weren't talking much about disruptive effects, but there is a little bit of a risk of a disruptive effect, which is kind of, hey, there's a near-term uh, downside growth risk, and we're not going to get into government shutdown, UAW, other things here, but those things can combine. And then there's the boil the frog scenario versus the... Um, uh, soft landing, which we're talking about in terms of reading the inflation dynamics and talking about tenure yields. But there's this other part of our story, which is that the um, the underlying resiliency of the private sector has been a key to us in terms of how we've been tracking the ability of the expansion to keep going here. And there's definitely been some news on that front that comes out of the uh, comprehensive revisions, which I think overall is positive. So why don't we kind of yeah. spend a minute on that? Well, I think there's two elements of the of the private sector. On the one hand, there's the corporate sector. And, and what we've seen here is not just this kind of GDI, gross domestic income revision, but leaving that part aside, you actually had the non-financial corporate sector profits actually look quite a bit better than than what we were expecting. And, and we're, we're tracking for, through the third quarter a pretty strong outcome as well. So yeah. this idea of a corporate sector that was supposed to start to feel pressure here and eventually lead to some scaling back and spending both on hiring and CapEx, there is nothing you see in the data that supports that story yet. Uh, from a from a macro GDP. Well, let me just jump in here and put the number. I mean, in the last four quarters now, with upward revisions, uh, adjusted non-financial corporate profits are up about seven percent. With the revisions uh, upward, also on on labor compensation, they're up about six and a half percent. That yeah. is not only 
it's pretty solid, but it's remarkably balanced as you kind of think about what's driving. Which is driving. interesting, right? Because what makes this even more weird is, is that the S&P profits are not doing nearly as well as that. So I, I don't want to quite get into parsing that, but it's worth noting we, we kind of use some of the, the equity earnings in our broader global picture. And it's uh, there's a disconnect there. But bigger point here is that, yeah, U.S. corporate sector is feeling a lot better, a lot more resilient over the past year. And then on the household side, you know, there's been a talk of excess saving being a very important support uh, through what has been all of these large headwinds and these inflationary headwinds, saving rate coming down to absorb that, eating into those excess savings. There's been a debate about our excess savings gone or not. And yeah, maybe this month, next month, next couple of months is going to be gone. That's what we thought come these revisions and now we have about roughly 800 billion more in in excess savings so i don't i don't know what to think of that honestly bruce i i think you could say well i guess you just have more support here or maybe the consumer is not going to eat away all of that excess savings. well i i guess the way i'm thinking about it is not to get hung up in excess saving at this point um because i think uh the bigger issue is simply the accumulation of wealth and financial assets on the part of the household sector overall. And I think to some degree what the numbers do um, this week is make that accumulation, which I, I know a few people are questioning whether we should believe what the flow of funds are telling us, seem more aligned with what the uh, the household behavior on savings has been. Uh, so I just feel like you know this has been your point all along that the wealth effects should matter here. They are big. They are based in terms of the asset accumulation it's there uh and well, some of that provision yeah, actually re reinforces that message yeah i mean just as you gave a number for the corporate sector let me give a number for the for the household side of things right so to the extent excess savings may be peaked out somewhere between two and three trillion maybe we still have about 800 billion left uh, if you switch gears and recognize this is just an overall wealth effect and look at the overall balance sheet well, the household balance sheet's up 38 trillion since the start of the pandemic through the second quarter. So um, we can debate the the size of wealth effects and how they've changed, and people have different opinions on that. But my guess is the effect isn't zero, and so 38 trillion is it's a lot of a lot of uh, support there for the consumer still still in the in the pipeline. It's a lot of money, um, but let's let's uh, end by just noting we're not really focusing from a a point of view of the macro outlook, the uh, government shutdown that looks like it might be starting over the weekend. But we should recognize that if that shutdown extends at any point into next week, we're probably going to lose uh, the data flow. Uh, we're going to lose jolts first and then payrolls on Friday. Our forecast for what it's worth is 175,000 on job gains, which is consistent with this idea that we're downshifting from outside strength to something that's still pretty solid. But unfortunately, we may not be um, uh, seeing that. We may be living in a world of uh, ADP and claims as our guide to what's happening in the in the labor market. I know. Don't, <laughs> don't, 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 go, don't go there, Joe. Uh, <laughs> that's your favorite world. <laughs> claims. Wasn't that the only piece of data you said you needed? Uh, to determine whether we're sliding into recession. But yeah, and I've lost that confidence too over the last <laughs> number of years. But anyway, on that bright note, and let's hope we don't uh, have a government that shut down very long. Um, thanks everybody for listening. I uh, hope we get home tonight and uh, 
hope we can continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.